Good morning, Crosswalk. How are we guys doing today? We good? I love my church. I really, really do. I love Katie up here singing, so cool. Um, you know, and just new faces every week this summer, even though people are on their travel schedules and going all over the place, every week we've had new faces, um, new stories, and it's so exciting what God is doing in this place. So thanks for being here with us today. If you are visiting for the first time, we hope and pray and do all this work so that you can have a community where you can feel like you belong. Uh, a community that loves well. That is our one word mission and vision statement. So uh, we think following Jesus means that the result will be to love God, love each other, and love our neighbors. And that's what we try to do uh, really, really well here. So thanks for coming and being a part. It has been a crazy couple of weeks. Vacation Bible school this week was amazing. Megan and her team did such a great job. And, and let me tell you this, uh, a little shout out, uh, special shout out to Megan. Megan does all this as a volunteer leader. She gives her heart. She makes sure our kids have a chance to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Um, and it is awesome. And so if you feel called to, whether it's kids or any of our ministries here, to help us do what we're doing and to grow and do even more, please let us know. We would love to have you. Um, and so there's all sorts of different ways to get involved. Uh, last week, I had a crazy week too because I, I was up in McCall, Idaho at a little place called Camp Idahaven um, where I got to spend a week as a camp pastor. Um, and for those of you who think, oh man, nice vacation. No. <laughs> you go from, you know, your normal uh, world uh, of energy, which is, for me, is, is about here. I understand for other people it may be here, but like I'm, I, I have a problem. Um, sometimes that's a caffeinated problem, but that's besides the point. Um, and, and you go from that to, to up here for, for the week. Uh, and, and it's intense. But I got to see my kids who are working up there as counselors. I got to see them in their element. I love, as a parent, you love hearing them complain about their kids in their cabins. Because they're like, oh, dad, they won't pick up after themselves. That's insane. Dad, they have to go to the bathroom all the time. Are you kidding me? They won't listen. <gasps> oh. So it's kind of fun to watch them go through that, I will say. Um, if you saw, if you follow me on social media, you saw that I, I spent my mornings that week as a character. <laughs> it's another problem I have. I'm seeing, I'm in therapy. Um, but this year it was Patty Anna Jones instead of Indiana Jones. So basically it meant I got to wear a whip all week and, and you know, I had a good time. But what's always amazing to me about that, and it reminds me of what we do here, is that there are so many of those kids that come, especially at, at that camp, that don't have much of a church background. They, they don't really know Jesus. And, and so when you come and you talk, like you, you can just see them open up and, and you can see their excitement level and they get to spend this week learning more about Jesus who loves them unconditionally, more than they can possibly imagine. It's a great and high week, but, but I have a request for you out there. If, if you feel so burdened this week, would you pray for those kids? 
Would you pray for our kids that go to any of our camps, whether it's Big Lake or Sunset or Myvedon or Idahaven or our other uh, nonprofits and non-dominationals. You know, there's so much work to be done. So many kids with so many tough stories and difficult backgrounds who just need to know their love. Um, And so they get to spend this great week, but then they go back, some of them to tough circumstances. So if you feel burdened about that this week, just, just lift up a prayer for them. Um, Pastor Lydia did a great job last week bringing the message, so excited to have her on our team, Um, and Uriel the week before that, but it is great to be back here everywhere I go, and this happened last week at camp as well, people want to know about Crosswalk, people want to know about what we're doing here and how it works, these other campuses around the U.S., and how we're connected and how we collaborate, and they're excited to hear about what God is doing in and through our ministries, Um, and it is so exciting to hear those stories, and I love being able to brag and to talk about it. It is, it is a new way of doing church for us, and it's fun. It often reminds me of what Mike Iaconelli, one of my favorite people in the world, passed away uh, a while back, but he wrote once about the journey of faith and how it's like a roller coaster ride. It is the thrill-filled, bone-rattling ride of a lifetime where every moment matters and all you can do is hang on for dear life. And that's what it feels like. It is exciting to be a part of this movement we call Crosswalk. And this week, we are in week six of our Deep Faith Sermon series. And it is flying by, as is summer. I cannot believe it is August 13 already. So any, any uh, kids uh, in the room or teachers who's excited for school? One person. Two people. All right. Three. Cool. Everybody else is like, just don't remind me about that on Sabbath. But it's coming, people. It's coming, and we're praying for you. Uh, Though summer is coming to a close, um, I do hope you've enjoyed our journey through the letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy as we've been going through and learning about what Paul had to say to his protege, Timothy. So far, we've been studying the first letter of Timothy, uh, and we've discovered deep faith, deep connections, deep roots, deep discipleship, and deep abiding. But today and over the next few weeks, we are going into 2 Timothy. And we'll notice in this book that Paul's tone changes ever so slightly. 2 Timothy is more emotive and less instructional. So we ask ourselves why. Well, if you remember, 1 Timothy was written by Paul when he was in Macedonia doing work for the gospel to uh, Timothy, who was in Ephesus, taking care of one of the churches that they had planted. And so there was a lot of instruction, but there was also underneath that instruction what, what Timothy needed, what we needed to grow our faith deeper to weather whatever storms may come our way. But by the time Paul writes his second letter to Timothy, his circumstances have changed. He is now in prison for the faith. And, and he's, not, he's been arrested before, But this isn't like before. Before he was on house arrest often, which meant there was some freedoms. But now he is in a prison in Rome. He is in a dungeon that probably had a little, uh, you know, sliver of space up at top for some light to come in. But it was dark. It was musty. And he did not have much hope for release. And though he says at times in 2 Timothy, I can't wait to see you again, I think Paul knew He said those words for Timothy because I think he knew that this was the end. So it means that he knew that 2 Timothy was his last words. 
And when we know we are dying, those last words, like we just cut to the chase. We say the things that matter most. And we find out that Paul is desperate in this book to help Timothy focus on the power of the gospel story. And to know that in Christ, he can do all things. For it is these truths that will help Timothy stand firm in his faith with the coming trials. So let us turn to Paul's last words to Timothy, where he writes, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. So here Paul again refers to Timothy as his dear son, just like he did in 1 Timothy, where he called him his true son in the faith. Just reiterating his connection and his care for Timothy. But we also find in this passage our first clue to a major theme that's going to carry on throughout this book. Paul says that he has been sent out to tell others about the life promised through faith in Christ Jesus. The word for life in the Greek is the word zoe. It means both the physical and the spiritual life. They are one in the same in Scripture. In Scripture, you don't have compartmentalization of, well, the secular world and then the religious world. Those are not terms Jesus used, and that's not how they referred to their life. Everything was spiritual. Everything was about their journey and faith. And it is a life that comes from the self-existent life of God. So when Zoe and faith are connected together, it means that our journey in faith is holistic. It impacts everything that we are and everything that we do. There is no compartmentalizing. The pursuit of a deeper faith isn't just a weekend activity or five, ten minutes in the morning. It is the choices we make, the things we do, and what helps us make these choices and live this way well, Paul tells us later in the chapter when he says, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So the life of faith is given and maintained by God through his Holy Spirit. And it exists to help us live full lives, making the most of every moment. God wants us to enjoy the thrill-filled, bone-rattling ride of a lifetime where every moment matters and all we can do is hang on for dear life. If we remember, it was Jesus who said, I came to give you life, zoe, and life to the fullest, or life abundant. Then Paul goes on and says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Paul and Timothy had shared much over the course of, the, of two decades. They had laughed together, cried together, been persecuted together, planted churches together, navigated situations together, supported each other along the way. So Paul continues to pray for Timothy because prayer matters. Let us never underestimate the power of prayer. It makes a difference. Some of our dearest friends in the world have been going through the fight of their life for the last three and a half years as their oldest has been battling Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it has been a tough battle and there have been dark times and lonely times and scared times, but they have repeatedly told Trisha and I that there are times when they know people are praying for them because they can feel themselves being wrapped 
in love and grace, even in the worst of times. So pray, even when you don't feel like your prayers are being answered the way that you think they should or you want them to be answered. Your prayers make a difference in the life of others. We need to be people that are praying and interceding for each other. Then, this next section in Timothy always gets me. Paul continues, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Those are really, like, Eunice is a good grandmother name, right? Mother, grandmother, I guess Lois. Anyway, and I know that same faith, if your name's Eunice, I'm sorry if I just called you a grandmother and you're like 14. Um, anyway, <laughs> And I know the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That last one we know. We quote that often. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Several things to touch on here. First of all, if we remember back to a few weeks ago when we were studying 1 Timothy, and we went, we dealt with the passage where Paul says that women should not be teachers or leaders. They should be quiet in church. Um, and some of you threw things at me. Um, but this passage is another example that Paul was speaking to a specific situation in Ephesus when he wrote what he wrote. There was a specific thing he was dealing with because here he is praising women for how they have passed on their faith. So that, I think, is critical. There are many studies that suggest that children pick up their spiritual values and practices from the women in their lives, more so than the men. The men have an impact, but the women's impact is greater. So these relationships are crucial to our faith development. And this was my experience as well. You, you know, I've said this before. I was raised by a pack of wild nurses from the South. Um, and I owe much of who I am to them. And sure, there were challenges being raised by nurses. Um, you know, like my temperature was taken every three to four hours. Sometimes by mouth. <laughs> the health folks in the room know what I mean by that. There are two different types of thermometers. Make sure you get the right one. <laughs> Um, I, I always had to wear a jacket even when it was 70 degrees outside and to this day I still have to call them and let them know that I've arrived at a place safely. But these women helped me fill in my early picture of Jesus. My grandmother grew up in the hills of West Virginia. She met the love of her life, got married, and they had three kids uh, pretty quickly. My grandfather was a coal miner. Um, and when he was in his mid-30s, he was in a cave-in which paralyzed him from the waist down, leaving my grandmother to take care of him and the kids. And this isn't one of those old tales where we, walked up to, we had to walk to school uphill both ways and we ate dirt. Um, my grandmother actually walked two miles to go to, to go to work every day. And she did that to put food on the table and take care of the family. And when my grandfather passed away in his mid-40s uh, from black lung because he didn't have the strength to fight it, when he passed away, not only did my grandmother continue to care for the family, but she stayed ferociously devoted to him, talking lovingly and sweet about him for the next 40 years of her life. So through my grandmother, I learned about the devotion and sacrifice and the tenaciousness of Jesus who chases after us even when we're running the other way. Then there's my mom. 
My mom worked long hours as a nurse, but she would take time at night to talk to me about Jesus and teach me how to pray. She got me my first Bible, which I still have. It has a picture of Jesus on it. That was important to me. Um, but she also is a person that serves. She started the Battleground uh, Healthcare Clinic that serves that community in amazing ways. She's the one that really set the example for me that my life begins to have a point when I am no longer the point of my life. Which sounds a lot like Jesus to me. But as important as moms are, we are all needed to help others grow in their faith. Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, friends, coworkers, classmates, we all have the opportunity to represent Jesus to someone. So let's not miss those opportunities. Then Paul encourages Timothy to fan into flames his spiritual gift. Now we're not told what his spiritual gift was specifically. Scholars have different thoughts and ideas from, you know, leadership to speaking to empathy and connecting with other people. But whatever it is, Paul was saying, like, you need to fan the flames. You need to work at it. You need to practice. You need to pray over those gifts in order for them to grow. It's like when I tell couples in premarital sessions that in order to keep their romance throughout the course of their lives, they have to continue to fan the flame of that romance, right? And that may look different over the course of their lives. I mean, when you first get together with someone, you first fall in love, it's all about, let me get you flowers and chocolates and all sorts of things like that. But then later on in life, it can be something different to fan the flame, like coming home and the laundry's done and there's food on the table. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! That better be done when I get home. No, just kidding. Um, so there's always just different things that we do, but we have to fan the flames. We have to work at it. Then verse 7 reminds us of something Timothy struggled with. Paul often mentions Timothy's struggle with fear, timidity, he uses in this passage. Now, Timothy must have hidden regularly in Paul's shadow, under Paul's name and Paul's authority. Maybe he did this because he didn't believe in himself enough. Maybe Timothy preferred the background, being behind the scenes. But Paul saw in Timothy so much more than Timothy saw in himself, with which all good leaders and mentors do. And Paul spoke truth into Timothy's life and gave him big responsibilities, knowing that Timothy wouldn't go forward with those responsibilities without leaning on Jesus. So maybe what Timothy saw as a weakness, Paul saw as a strength. As a person who also struggles with fear, I am thankful that throughout Scripture, it is common for the perceived giants of the faith to struggle at some point with fear. In fact, when God calls someone to a task, be it Moses or Gideon or Jeremiah or Mary, the common response is, who, me? You have got to be joking, right? But then God reminds each, each of those people that he will be with them. You see, God isn't as focused on our weakness as he is his strength. And what qualifies us to go and do whatever it is that God calls us to go and do is God's presence, which he has promised to be with us until the end of the age. So let us go forward in his power and in his love and with self-control. And this is what leads us to an understanding of our topic for today, which is God's grace. For God almost always chooses the most unlikely people to do the most unlikely things, all because of grace. As Paul continues, he writes, 
For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because this was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher and apostle and teacher of this good news. Here we have this word life again, zoe. You know, Paul actually uses that term 18 times in this little letter. But God saved us and called us to live a holy life. Not because we deserved it, but because it was his plan from before there was time. This is his grace, the unmerited favor of God. In Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he talks about a conference between comparative religions where they were trying to determine what is unique, if anything, about Christianity. There's all these world religions, but does Christianity have anything unique to offer? During this discussion, author and theologian C.S. Lewis walked into the room, which when I think about that, I I don't know what I would have done. I'd be like, "Ah, um, that's that's C.S. Lewis, guys. Um, You know, but he walks into the room and they tell him what the topic is. They're trying to figure out if there's anything that's unique to Christianity that other world religions don't have. And C.S. Lewis doesn't even hesitate. He said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. The conference had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish Covenant, the Muslim Code of Law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. In fact, Yancey goes on to say that grace seems to go against every instinct of humanity and that we are naturally drawn to cause and effect, to earning what we receive, but only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Grace is God's unconditional love given to the undeserving. And it is a difficult concept to understand because it isn't entirely rational. As you 2 lead singer Bono, which I always like to quote. <laughs> Do you know he's Irish? That's <laughs> uh, Bono once said, grace defies reason and logic. But when we begin to understand it, When we receive it unto ourselves, everything changes. And the fruit of believing in God's grace is a sense of uncontainable gratitude, overwhelming love, and a boundless joy. We receive God's grace, and then we give it away because it is so amazing, so otherworldly. That's how grace is designed to work, and yet too many of us are still buying into the transactional concept of God's love. We think it must be earned, and we live under the shadow of shame when we continue to fall short of what we perceive to be God's expectations. That is why Paul is so often talking about his past, right? He talks about himself being the chief of sinners, the the, the least apostle, all because he was so aware of how amazing God's grace is and how he shouldn't have been standing where he was doing what he was doing, but God's grace invited him in. In my study this week, I was taken aback by the comment from a Christian counselor named David Siemens who had this to say about grace. 
He said, many years ago, I was driving to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among Christians are these. The failure to understand and receive and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. And the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. We can tell that in Paul's life, God's grace penetrated every fiber of his being. He knew who and what he had been. He knew, who and wh- he knew what he had done before he learned about grace. He was the last person to become God's spokesperson. But then grace appeared to him on the road to Damascus in the person of Jesus Christ. And everything changed. Once Paul received the grace found in the person and gospel of Jesus Christ, he gladly spent the rest of his life telling others about it, giving it away and laying his life down so that the truth of God's grace would carry on. Grace is received, grace received is seen in the way grace is given away. I wish I could say that believing and receiving God's grace and letting it penetrate our emotions is easy. But as stated, grace goes against every instinct in the world. Our world is all about payback and revenge and earning our way. But this is not how God works. God is about grace, unmerited favor, forgiveness of sins, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, losing your life in order to find it. And we come together every week to remind ourselves of this truth because our world bombards us with the other way of living all the time. And we can easily think in our spiritual life, okay, well, I guess, well, God loves me if. God loves me if I do this and if I do that. That is not true. Because God loves you before there was time. God decided he loved you so much that he couldn't imagine a future without you, and so he gave his life for you. For the first time since before there was time, on the cross, the connection between the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was severed. That had never happened before. That's what caused Jesus to to die. His heart exploded inside him is what people think because when they pierced his side and blood and water flowed, it was the weight and the pressure of sin, yes, but it was also being disconnected from the Father and the Spirit. Ellen White tells us that on the cross, he couldn't see through the portals of the tomb. He thought his separation was eternal. The devil's lies told him that he'll never be connected with God again. And how many times does that happen in our own lives? We sin, we fall short, we do something, and we feel like no way will we ever be accepted again. The devil whispers in our ear and he puts shame on us. Recognize this, the difference between guilt and shame is important. Guilt is a, is a feeling that can cause us to, to turn back to God. To, to say, man, th- this isn't right. I need, I need to turn. Shame is about keeping our distance from God, that we're not worthy enough. Why would God die on a cross for us to put shame on us so we feel like we can't come to him? Shame isn't from God. Shame is a tool of the devil. And it works against grace. Don't let it get you. A few years ago, I experienced a tangible expression of of grace unlike anything 
I had experienced up to that point. It was a simple gesture by all intents and purposes, but for me, it opened my eyes up to God's grace. It was coming close to the end of the year, and our, the, my employer had a Christmas dinner and party, and at that party, he, they, they gave out Christmas bonuses. Um, you know, it wasn't a, a crazy amount of money. It was $300 in cash in an envelope, but it was money that we needed. Times were tight for the McCoys, and I had desperately wanted to get my kids a particular Christmas gift that I couldn't do without that money. Um, and so I was very, very thankful for that this year. So the next day, uh, I've made all the arrangements to go and pick up the gift. I go to get the money, and I, I can't find it. And I turn the house upside down looking for it. And then I go to my office, and I turn the office upside down looking for it. And then all of a sudden, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I had the envelope with me with some other trash that I was throwing away. And I realized I had thrown it away in the trash at work. The trash had already been emptied, taken out, and taken to the dump. I was so mad at myself. I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anybody. That's what our struggles feel like oftentimes. And, and so I went home. I had to tell my wife. I told her I threw the money away. We can't get the Christmas gift. We've been talking about getting the kids. And then the next day, my father-in-law, who was visiting, he walked into the garage. He'd already given us a Christmas gift. He helped us pay off some bills, which was huge for us. But he walked over to me, having heard what happened, and he gave me an envelope that just said, Merry Christmas. And I opened it up, and there was $300 cash inside. Um, my response to that was, look, you don't, you don't have to do this. I was the one that made the mistake. I was the one that threw the money away. I don't deserve this. You don't have to do this. That's the inner voice talking and telling us. It's the shame that continues to wash over us. He looked back at me and said, of course I do. I love you. Then we embraced and he whispered in my ear as the tears were streaming down my face. He said, Patty, this is what grace looks like. I will never forget that moment when I was giving some, given something I desperately did not deserve. And that, my friends, is grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor, something we don't deserve. But we get it because of who we are. Not, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And this same God demonstrated His unconditional love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grace is what love well is all about. Our job isn't to go around and tell other people what they're doing wrong. Our job is to love people. Our job is to bring people to Jesus over and over and over again until God's grace gets into every fiber of their being. That's our job. So let us seek grace. Let us meditate on it day and night. Talk about it with others. Receive it unto ourselves and get, until it gets deep, deep down inside of us. And then let us go and share it with the world. Let's pray.
God, gracious and loving Heavenly Father, each one of us in, in this room, we, we know who we are. We know our struggles. We know the choices we make in the dark. We know the shame. We know our fears. We know all the reasons why we can't possibly do whatever it is you would want us to do. But that's where your grace comes in. Your grace that is so un unlike anything else we experience in this world. Your grace is a love that pours out upon us over and over and over and over again, hoping that we will accept it, hoping that we will believe it. God, you have done everything to prove your love to us. So let help us let that sink down into every fiber of our being that we may not only be changed, but that we may go from this place and help other people be rescued from the voices of this world and to hear your still small voice whispering into our ears, I love you. And that is grace. In the precious and holy and powerful name of Jesus Christ, who died for us, who we will see again soon. I pray these things.